Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome back into the coaching staff, episode number 54. And we are going to talk about what makes tough coaches. How can you become a tough coach? And where we got this from, it was kind of my turn to poach something. And I saw an article, and I think I'd read the article before, but it recently kind of re-popped up somehow, some way, from Mike Neighbors, and he basically listed about 12 or 13 qualities of a tough coach. So this is going to be volume one, and then next week, Tony and I are going to talk about volume two. And, you know, essentially, the way I looked at this was, we could talk X's and O's, we could talk about this, we could talk about that, but... In a lot of different ways, our, the way we handle tough situations, a lot of times with honey, sometimes with a hammer, uh, very rarely with a hammer, but more often than not, we wanted to do it with honey. Uh, but, but as we take a look at those things and as we prepare for those things before they even happen, it's going to make our seasons, our programs, and our careers better if we learn how to have a certain toughness level as a coach. We ask our players to be tough mentally and physically. We too as coaches are expected to be tough in some way, shape, or form. So that's kind of the ethos of what we're going to go with here today. So uh, before we get any further, Mr. Viss, how are you today, my friend? Doing well. We've gotten out of the uh, sauna. Uh, we're you know, in, been in the 70s the past couple days here in eastern Iowa, so that's been good. Um, we got the NFL kicking off tonight, you know, college football last weekend. It's, it's mm-hmm. one of my favorite times of the year. It's the most wonderful time. <laughs> oh, not quite. That's that's uh, late December, early January. So, Mr. Viss, episode 54, I've got six uniform numbers. I've got three professional football defensive players. No, four altogether. I, I think three linebackers and a down lineman. I've got a closer, and I've got a power forward for you this week. Oh, boy. All right. Where do you, where do you um, want to start? I knew, there's some good linebackers. We'll start football first. There's some good linebackers, but I am, I'm struggling to think of anybody that I know off the top of my head that's 54. Uh, let's see here. Two of these – no, all the three of these four played, I think – they overlapped each other pretty well. Um, was One was most known for being a monster of the Midway. One was a fish from Miami. And the other one was very patriotic. And they were all kind of in the aughts and early tens. I'm going to go Zach Thomas. That's the fish. Okay. Um, monster of the Midway. I think he might have been defensive player. I don't think it's Singletary, but... No, 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 way too Wilbur early. Wilbur Marshall? No, that's way too early. Okay. He's a, he's an ot guy. Ooh. Um, I think oh, he was Erlacher. Brian Erlacher, there you go. And then the <laughs> other one, uh, very patriot, patriotic. Right? Huh? You said a patriot, right? Very patriotic. I think Willie McGinnis was 55. Willie McGinnis is incorrect, but he played alongside Willie McGinnis. Um, 
his last name is uh, consumed by many American. Many Americans consume his last name. You don't got it? I don't got it. Teddy Bruski. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you like that? That was pretty good. That was good. That was good. Thank you very much. So, uh, the other one. uh, 70s and 80s defensive lineman for America's team. Okay, so we're doing a cowboy. Um, 70, 80. Randy White? There you have it. Um, Okay. Hall of Fame relief pitcher. Multiple teams. If it walks like this and talks like this, it's more than likely this bird. Wore wore some Tony Viss-esque facial hair. It's not Raleigh Fingers, is it? Nope. He was 34. Okay. Uh, Goose Gossage. Goose Gossage is correct. Okay, now we need a power forward. Yes, uh, 90s, uh, heyday, multiple world champion, um, war goggles. Whew, it's a lot of, I mean, because we could go Kurt Rambis? He wasn't nope. 54, was he? No, no. But he had glasses, he didn't really wear goggles. Yeah, yeah um, goggles. We're talking goggles. Third Musketeer on one of the greatest runs in NBA history, early 90s. Wouldn't be Horace Grant? It is Horace Grant, and we are ready to move on, my friend. Well done. Well, not, yeah, I'm going to be honest with you, Tony. Not your best week. It was not my best yeah, week. I had what... no clue. If it wasn't for your hints there yeah. on Password Plus, we would have been stuck. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, hey, let's jump into it here. What makes tough coaches? And uh, Tony, I hope you like this topic. I, I think it's a really good one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, we got six topics. We're going to go through them one through six here. For number one, and I don't know if, if, if Coach Neighbors put this in any particular order, uh, but number one is you got to confront. Yeah. You got to confront. Uh, you want to go first? You want me to? You know, on the, the confront one, you know, I think a lot of times when people think confront, they think it has to be like a knockdown drag out. Yeah. And I don't think it is that way. I think one of the things that, you know, as a, as a coach is you just want to hold them accountable. And you can do that with a pat on the back as easy as you can, a kick in the butt, so to speak. And, you know, it's one of those things where if you have a hill that you're going to die on, like your, your things that you are not going to compromise on, these are your pillars and you see it dropping, you've got to address that. You can't just, ah, man, that would be so uncomfortable. I'm going to push it on the rug. I'm going to look the other way. Um, and I, I think that's that's a, a tough thing to do, and I think it compromises your program. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, not something you highlight on your, you know, your board that you want to do, but it may be out of the different topics here, it might be the most important. Yeah, um, I, I wrote down a few things here, and, and I thought of confrontation 
uh, in a lot of different ways. First of all, it's never easy. Uh, I don't think anybody ever really looks forward to any sort of confrontation, whether it's uh, uh, with a player or with one of your staff, uh, one of your assistant coaches, let's say. Perhaps it's with somebody within your organization, uh, another another coach within your within your building, um, whatever it may be. I don't think anybody necessarily really looks forward to it, um, and it's never easy. But it, it is a necessary thing that you have to be willing to do. Uh, one of the things, and and I kind of took a look at it from the the conversation we had off air. I guess we'll just leave it at that, Tony. Um, you, it, it must be, I really feel like if, if you have to confront somebody, it must be calculated and well thought out and done professionally. Because I think yeah. that when you, when you confront a player, when you do it on emotion, uh, it's, it's not good. Um, it, it has a tendency to go bad more than it does go the way you intended it to uh, more often than not. Um, I, I've had in the last, in this particular week, I have had three different, uh, what I would call confrontation situations uh, within the program. Um, one of them, I needed to take care of something and... I, I really thought about what I wanted to say and how I wanted to say it, kept it very short, very brief, and I, I kept the emotion out of it. And I really tried to do that when I do that. Another one was uh, brought to my attention. Uh, somebody had something that they wanted to talk about with me, and it was done very, very well. It was done... Uh, in a very professional manner. It was done very respectful, and we really talked through a lot of different options. So in that circumstance, it was it was very easy to work on it and try to come up with a solution, uh, and, and solution for the issue that was at hand. And, the, and then there's another one that is, um, you know, just m- more difficult to deal with and has a lot of layers to it. And so... Uh, how all of those things are done and and how they are presented to you or by you in all of the circumstances that we've addressed, it needs to be done, again, calculated. And when I say calculated, I'm not talking about, you know, Game of Thrones calculations type of thing, but just what are you going to say and how are you going to say it? And rehearse it in your head or write it out or write down some notes or something like that. And especially if you feel like if it's a situation where it's going to be a little bit emotional, I think you bring those notes with you and you just say, hey, look, Billy or Coach Smith or Principal Anderson, uh, there's some things I, I, I want to talk to you here. And I apologize, but I've written some things down here. And I just want to make sure I say these things in the right way because I, I, I want this to work for for both of us or all of us or whatever the circumstance may be. And, and so that's what I mean by being calculated, done professionally try to keep your emotions out of it. And the last thing I wrote down with it, it, Tony, is to have a long view with it. You know, how could this conversation today affect us tomorrow, but also next week, next month, next year, five years down the line? How is this all going to 
piece together. And and so those were kind of some of the key bullet points I had with with this first topic here. I don't I don't know what you want to do with it, but but that's kind of some of the things I had. Yeah, I think a big thing when you have, you know, your meeting, your your discussion or whatever is to sit down with them. What's what's our goal out of this? Because a lot of times I think both sides have the same goal, mm-hmm. you know, and if you both are on the same page that way, you might have different ideas in terms of how to get there. But you both have the same goal. And then the other thing, you know, that I, th- I think that's important as well is how do you address it? And it's one of those things where, you know, if you're going in there guns ablazing, very emotional, you, you're going to fail. But if you yeah. go in there, like you said, thought out, um, you know, uh, using upper level thinking skills, you've got a shot. And yeah. so I think those are, are both important items. Yeah. And if you are going to, for example, talk to another coach about an issue that you may have with something, whatever it may be. Uh, if you come in, again, like we, t- we talked about, just highly emotional, you're not going to get anywhere. You're not, you're not going to get anywhere at all. But if you present a, a calculated, logical discussion point, the worst thing that happens out of it is you go, hey, you know, I, I could, you know, if they if they if we still disagree i handled things the right way and you can hold your head high um, but but if you're going to see the change that you want to see when you have to confront somebody then you've got to handle it the right way and you've got to do all that you can to make sure that you are on the same page as you move forward and the other thing that in my little perspective if you were the one that was I don't know if in the wrongs the right phrase, but if you were the one that somebody was needing to confront, how would you want to be confronted? And yeah. then as you do that, then do that for others. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Anything else on confrontation, Tony? No, I okay. think we brought up some good points there. Okay. Uh, the second thing is that Coach Neighbors put in this article is be decision savvy. And so some of the things that I wrote down with it, you know, when I make decisions, again, I can only speak for myself. I'm not making decisions for the, the Cedar Rapids, Kennedy Cougars, or anybody else. Uh, and the Cougars, thank good Lord, I'm not. So, uh, But, you know, big picture to me is really important. Every decision that I make, I try to not only take the, the micro but the macro look at it. Uh, when I'm making decisions about our program, I, I truly honestly try to take a look at it from the perspective of parents, players, how this could affect other coaches and but also is this something that's we're going to win today but a month from now, a week from now, a year from now it's not going to really matter, but I'm just I just want to win this type of deal today. So decision savvy, one of the coaches I used to work for uh, he had a great saying, and it's and it's stuck with me. And I think it's a very appropriate saying. You can you can win any battle you want, but you can't win every battle. And and I think with every decision that you make, there is a ripple effect that you have to prepare yourself for. And sometimes you may not realize the ripples. Sometimes you may you may realize that there's going to be ripples, and you know you're going to rock the boat. Uh, around the impact point or around the rock going in the water. Uh, but but there is a ripple effect. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that 
it's it's important that you keep that those things in mind as you're making your decisions. Are you going to move this kid up? Uh, will that help us this week? But is this going to be something hard to explain next month, next year? Is this kid really in our long term uh, plans, or is this a band aid? Uh, you know, just different things like that. So I, I think it's really important to be decision savvy on the floor, off the floor. You know, and I think you know decision savvy is something where you put some thought into it. Mm-hmm. You know, don't get me wrong. There's going to be decisions you have to make on the fly. But for other decisions that you can take your time, that would be my advice. Take your time. Don't rush into something, you know, because a lot of times coaches, teachers, whatever, have to make a ton of decisions in a day. Yep. And you can get to where you are, like, just tired, and you make a knee-jerk, quick decision and it comes back to bite you in the butt. And so, you know, if you can take your time on a decision, take your time. Don't don't you don't always have to make a rapid fire decision. You know, as far as things go, um, and, and don't get overwhelmed. You know, it, the thing I would I would give there too. You've heard the phrase before: two heads are better than one. You know, involve your staff, involve your captains, your leaders. You know, that type of thing to to help you out. But you've got to think big picture. You know, I think one of the overarching themes. Is this is is this what's best for the team? Yes. And then after that, is this what's best for the player? Now, mm-hmm. if those two things can can you know really smooth and can conjoin together, great. You know you're in the right on that decision. Um, if they're a little bit opposed to one another, you got to take some time and think that one through. And like I said, uh, you know we all have whether it's our staff, whether it's leaders on our team, but you also have those mentor coaches that you can go back to and hey hypothetically, what would you do here? And, you know, and then take some time to think it through. And hopefully it is the best decision for the team and the best decision for that particular player or players. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you know that you're not going to, you know, it's impossible. I think when you're being decision savvy, and I think this is a hard lesson to learn, especially for young coaches, when you make a decision, somebody's not going to be happy with that decision, and you can't make everybody happy with the decisions that you make, like you were talking about, Tony. What's what's best for the program first, and is this good for the player second? And I think those are the two big things that you need to look at and move forward with. But uh, I, I agree with a lot of the stuff that you said there. So, Coaches, put it on your calendar right now. Saturday, October 14th, Sunday, October 15th, 2023. The first annual A Pen and a Napkin Fall Coaches Retreat here in Omaha. We've got a little bit of everything for everybody. We are going to start our day 10 a.m. Saturday morning with a live practice session with Kirk Walker and the College of St. Mary's women's basketball program here in Omaha. Then we're going to move everything to the Holiday Inn Express here in Omaha, 87th and Dodge. We've got a lot of things planned. We've got speakers like myself talking about 25 universal truths in coaching along with practice planning and a practice uh, planning an efficient practice. We've got Jeff Steinis, the boys assistant coach at Ames, Iowa, talking about building a complete program. We've got Tyler Shaw, the girls head coach at Sydney, Nebraska, talking about coaching cheat codes. And we've got Tom Craig talking about transition basketball and transition offense and the Boys Town way of doing things out of Boys Town here in Omaha. The best thing about a pen and a napkin 
clinics, though, is the interactive part of it. We've got small group coaching roundtables where you're going to pick the brains of three or four other coaches at the same time. Then we're going to have big group discussions. You're going to come up and you're going to have to talk. When you come to a pen and a napkin clinic, you've got to bring your own ideas. We're going to have a situation score discussion on Saturday night. Sunday morning, we're going to have a basketball smorgasbord session where we're going to talk about issues that coaches need to think about off the floor and how things can derail you off the floor and how to prepare for those type of things. So it's going to be a great weekend at a very, very affordable rate. If you would like to stay overnight at the Holiday Inn Express, it's $175 for everything, your room, your food, your drinks, everything that we've got going on, you're going to be taken care of there. If you're a commuter, it's $100, $100. All of this, it's, it's 26 hours, coach. It's 26 hours of awesome awesome information and again the best thing about it is you are going to be picking the brains and learning from other coaches you're not just going to be sitting there getting lectured to the entire time we're going to be moving around so hotel rooms we need to have at least 10 rooms filled i'm sorry five rooms filled with 10 uh, borders by september 15th that's my cutoff date so if you want this to happen get signed up now so we fill up those five hotel rooms with at least 10 coaches Commuters, you got till October 12th to get signed up and ready to go. Coaches, you're not going to regret this. There's a lot of really good places to go, but I really think we do it really well here at A Pen and a Napkin. So come check out our first annual A Pen and a Napkin Fall Coaches Retreat. Uh, want to move on to number three? Yeah, let's move on to the mistakes and excuses. Uh, yes, mistakes and excuses. Uh, expect mistakes, but don't accept excuses. Tony, I'll let you lead on this one here. Yeah, the one thing that you have to understand is that players are going to make mistakes. I know when I played 100 years ago and it was still the peach basket, um, I made mistakes. And so you can't expect perfection out of them. You're going to expect those mistakes. They're going to mess up. And one of the things that we talk about is the fact that we don't want them to make two mistakes in a row. One, where you make the mistake, and then two, where you put your head down and you pout a little bit. You know, if that happens, probably going to get subbed out. But if you make a mistake, you turn the ball over, you sprint back on defense, you know, to, to jam the ball up so that they don't get an easy shot. Yeah, let them play. Let them play through those things because that's how you learn. I don't know about you, but I learn way more from my mistakes than I do from my successes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the thing where you begin to get in trouble is the excuse part of things. Yeah. Well, if they had just come back and done this, I wouldn't have done that. No, I, I can help mistakes. I can coach you through mistakes. I can't I can't really do a whole lot with your excuses. And so, uh, you know, you want them to learn lessons. And it's one of those things where, um, you know, you're, you're, when the excuses happen, you're probably going to find me to be not as understanding, maybe a little bit more uh, severe, if you will. And you got to bite those in the, in the butt quickly. Mistakes, you're going to make them, okay? Uh, admit them, learn from it, flush it, go on. Mm-hmm. Excuses, you, you, can't, you can't handle those. Yeah. Um, I, I had three things that I thought was really important with, with our kids, and hopefully we've, we've, done, we've been very consistent. I hope we have been. I think we have been uh, with our players. As long as we've got great effort, great intentions, great concentration – then we can live with any mistakes. I don't want to say any mistakes. Ninety-eight point six percent of our mistakes that we make, uh, you know, some mistakes are at times, you know, jacking up a three-pointer when you're up three with ten seconds left to go. Not a good mistake, you know, type yeah. of thing, you know. Uh, but uh, you know, 
as long as our effort is there, as long as our intentions are, are there, and as long as our concentration is there, I can live with pretty much any mistake that we make. Uh, but yeah, don't make it every, don't make excuses. Um, I, I also think it's important. We as coaches, sometimes we want to correct every mistake and we, we, we remember correction four times as long as we remember praise. And so we need to praise four times as often as we correct. And so that they will, so that will keep that brain balanced out, so to speak. So, um, you know, expect those mistakes, be ready to correct those mistakes, but don't correct every mistake because then all your players are going to be thinking about, all your coaches are going to be thinking about, all your staff members are going to be thinking about is the mistakes that they're making. And, and so now again, when you have a, you have to establish a standard as to what is acceptable and, when that standard is established, when it is emphasized, when it is fully recognized by everybody within the organization, then that becomes a really, really positive thing. A really positive thing. So um, I, I think we do. I think we, we play a mistake-filled game. We coach a mistake-filled game. As Bobby Knight says, victory favors the team that makes the least mistakes. But in order to limit, I don't know if this is going to make sense or not, Tony. In order to limit mistakes, you have to allow for mistakes so that players can correct them and still play free and efficiently. If if that makes sense, makes a ton of sense. You know, like I was saying earlier, the biggest thing I've learned from my life have been my mistakes. I've learned, hey, I don't want to do that again, and you make the corrections. And it's the same thing in, in basketball. You know you might emphasize something and if the kid keeps doing it and doing it and they make the mistake, eventually they're going to realize, Hey, I probably shouldn't jump in the air to pass every time. Mm -hmm. And once they get a travel or a turnover or whatever the case may be, they learn to, you know, limit the amount of times they jump to pass. Mm -hmm. Um, Anything else about mistakes and excuses? You know, just the, the fact that you, be be gracious when they make mistakes, it, you know. And I, I I say that as somebody at times who gets very frustrated with mistakes. But be gracious. It's the way that they learn the game, and you know they're, they're definitely not a finished product. But the excuses, like I said, you got to nip those in the bud rather quickly. Yep. Fourth one on Coach Neighbor's list here is understanding the next play, uh, and we use the phrase "next play" a lot. It's it's a it's part of our lexicon. It's part of our verbiage. Uh, you know, what I really try to emphasize to our kids is good play, next play, bad play, next play. And a lot of people associate next play with a bad play. But sometimes uh, we get we get into, uh, you know, good play and then we forget about the next play. You know, funny, funny story from this past weekend, uh, coaching, a, a, I think it was there were seventh graders in the drill. And, and these are really talented kids. These are not average seventh graders. These are really, really talented players. Kid hits a three at the top of the key, and he's really excited, and he starts doing something or other, and he doesn't get back, and somebody started 10 feet in front of him and ended up 10 feet behind him because he's jogging back because he's thinking he's pretty cool because he hit this three at the USA camp, and the kid gets a layup. And I took that kid over, and again, um, he understood the concept of next play after I was done with him after about 20, 25 seconds. Uh, probably kind of the only kid that I really, 
Oh, I don't want to say I got after him, but I made my point firmly that you made the three get move on to the next play, and and we really tried to to do that. I think as coaches sometimes, Tony, we struggle with with next play when it comes to really really big wins or crushing losses. Most of the time, and you know this just as well as I do, Tony. Most of the time, the players move on from wins and losses a lot faster than the coaches do. And I am a thousand percent guilty of that, especially at my my previous job. I would just hold on to losses and it would eat at me and eat at me and eat at me. And and I know in some ways that's that's a good thing, but at the same way or at the same time, it is it can be so very counterproductive to what you're trying to accomplish. And so I think as coaches, part of our next play is we get a great win. Hey, that's great. That's awesome. But we've got to move on and we've got to get ready for the next one. And and the same thing with a really, really tough defeat, whatever the circumstances may be. Uh, what we tell our kids is if we win, hey, great win, great job. Enjoy it till your head hits the pillow. And then we got to get up and go back to work again tomorrow. Uh, if we lose, hey, that stunk, that hurt. Uh, we got to learn from it. Let it bother you until your head hits the pillow, and then tomorrow we got to get right back to work. And I think that those are ways, in my experiences, how next play uh, affects me. Yeah, I like those, you know, because the the failure ones are tough, and I think that goes with what we were just talking about with mistakes. You know, if you harp on it, you're going to get them shoulder slump, head down, and you know that you need them to go on to the next play, like you're saying. And I think I remember correctly. Uh, you know, I think that's a Shusheski, and a lot of different coaches use that. You know, I mentioned the flush example earlier. Uh, that was a Dean Smith one. Yeah. Um, but I also like the one with you know next play as well. I mean, you throw down a you know a dunk, and you want to you know pound on your chest and all that good stuff. And the next thing you know, they get the ball out of the net, make two passes, and shoot a layup on the other end. It's a wash now. You know, and so you have to move on. And a lot of times, you know. That's the part that people have to understand. It is a progression. It's a game of moves. It's kind of like chess where you're planning that next move. And if you get too caught up in the failure and the success, you're not going to do your best on that next move. And that's the one that could be so very, very important for you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So are we ready to move on to the next play and the next topic, Mr. Viss? Yes, sir. All right. Your actions align with your standards. Um, Hey, Tony, I'll let you go first on this one here. What were some of the things that you were thinking on this uh, particular topic from Coach Nate? Yeah, this is one where, you know, if, if a person says one thing in real life and their actions do something different, that's what, re- that's what is referred to as a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be a hypocrite as a coach. If you are sitting there and you're saying this to your players and this is the standard you want to hold them to and your actions go up completely opposite of that, that's not the right message that you want to send to them. You want to make sure, and I think almost everybody wants to make sure that what they're hearing and what they're seeing people doing, that they match up. People like consistency, things that they, you know, hey, he said he was going to do this and he did it. He's a person of his word or she's a person of her word. Those things line up. And, um, you know, as a coach, it might be the hard thing to, to at times for those things to line up. But it's a necessary thing, both in good times and bad times, because you want to be that example for your players where, hey, you talk a good game, 
you walk the walk, you know, after you talk the talk. And those things have to have to line up if you're going to gain credibility, not only with your team, but your staff, uh, your supporters, your, your family and different things that, that fall under that umbrella. Yeah. I really uh, one of the things that popped into my head when I saw this was perception versus reality. And people's perception of you is their reality. Uh, we, you know, right now, uh, just in the in, at the at the top of the ESPN.com banner has been a lot of discussion about Deion Sanders and their their win last week over TCU. And there is a lot of preconceived notions about Deion Sanders, his personality. You know, but talking to, I had the opportunity to be around some some people that actually uh, know people who know who who have worked with him. He's a hardworking guy who puts in the time, who is uh, wants to build up his guys, wants them to play with confidence, and is highly organized. is an efficient teacher who can uh, who is a great recruiter. And, and has done a really good job. Now, again, um, does that mean they're going to beat Nebraska this week? Does that mean, I don't, you know, how good really, so. how, <laughs> how good is TCU? You know, all of those different things. But, uh, you know, I, I, people's perception of Deion Sanders is probably to a degree different than what the reality of things are. You know, and and I think that that's what we deal with in the coaching profession. And when we put ourselves out there publicly the way that you do as a coach, that's part of it. Uh, Are you the hardest worker in your program? Like you said, Tony, you don't want to be a hypocrite. You do not want to be a hypocrite. And if you're asking your kids to work hard, doggone, you better be the hardest worker in the program. Uh, if, If you have practice at 530, don't show up at 525, 527 without a practice plan. Trust me, kids notice, parents notice, that's not going to work. You should be there by 445 starting to sweep that floor. It's the sacrifice that you make. This, this is the choice that you've made to get into this. And if that's your standard that I want a hardworking team, you better be the hardest working person in the program uh, because your players, now again, our work as coaches is much different than our players' work as players, but we have our things that we have to do and that we have to be held accountable for. Uh, again, I, I think your your actions have to align with your standards uh, with just the way you carry yourself, how you dress, how you present yourself, how you talk to people, even when it's something as simple as being in the convenience store. And how do you treat the clerk at the convenience store? Or when you take your team out to eat and the waiter or waiters or waitresses or whatever, the help staff is coming out to take your order to take care of you. You know, just all of those different things. Do your actions align with the standards that you expect out of your players and out of your program? I think one of the things that our players are able to do is a spot a fake. And mm-hmm. if you're not if you're not real, that's gonna that's gonna turn on you. It's gonna turn their stomachs, and they're not gonna be willing to run through a wall for you, so to speak. I think you know, uh, gave, my, my my students call it. They want you to keep it one hundred. Um, there you go. Um, I think that's the, the 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 teenage lingo these days. So if I'm wrong with that, I apologize. You know, when you mentioned Deion Sanders earlier, uh, one of the things that was kind of fun uh, with watching a lot of sports and stuff is Dan Orlovsky going in and showing how how 
well coached they are and how their scheme is so really, really good. And so that brings up some stuff. Now, one thing I want to be careful with Deion Sanders on, and I don't know if you caught this, uh, he said that uh, the offensive coordinator at TCU uh, didn't give his son the time of day at a camp. It later on came out, uh, I can't remember, I think it's Kendall Bryles came out and said he wasn't even at that camp. Like sure. Kendall Bryles wasn't yeah. there. So that part of it, you know, is a little bit whatever. But yeah, there's a lot of great things about Deion Sanders, but you just got to make sure when you are, you know, putting out there this this disrespect that it is actually true. Yep, yep, absolutely, absolutely. So um, I had not seen that, by the way, Tony, so I was not aware of that. I'm glad you brought that up. So um our last topic, you know, you take no credit for winning and you set all the blame when it comes to losing. I, I had, I don't know, I, I, where are you at on this one, Tony? You know, the one thing I would say is, as a coach, I think it is important when you win that you do give the credit to the team. Because, you know, and I tell them all the time, I haven't scored a basket in a long time in a game. Not since you they know, had peach baskets. That's them. I haven't blocked a shot. I haven't, you know, pulled in a rebound. That that's them. And, and you know, I think it's a part of where you want to build them up. And then after the game is over, you know, especially on tough losses, I think it's important for the coach, you know, because a lot of times a game's over and you might be emotional if you lost like a rivalry game, close game, you know, last second shot, and you want to point the finger. But I think it's important at that time as a coach to deflect some of those blames and to be in front of them and to, you know, take the criticism or whatever. And, you know, cause I remember a game last year, we got beat at the horn and uh, there was a part that I, I could have done better on. And I, I admitted that after the game to try to help them because there were some guys that took it pretty hard because, you know, we had a turnover and we had some fouls to give and we didn't give a foul. Um, and I, I, I stepped in front and then took the blame. And I think those are important things to do as a coach, you know, to, you know, Hey, you know, look at me. I did coach a great game. It was a great game plan. I think that that rings hollow with kids. And I think it's, you know, can be arrogant. Um, you know, and then as far as the blame, I just think that, you know, they are kids and sometimes we have to step in there and, and take the, the brunt of the criticism for them. Otherwise um, they may, may get, some some hard reality Mm -hmm. yeah you know i i am all for it like you said tony i tell people i didn't make a shot i didn't get a rebound i i you know uh the kids deserve all the credit i i think when it comes to the the losing part of it uh again if if our kids the the effort the intention and the concentration is there and the other team is better than us then then so be it I, i think what we as coaches struggle with and i know that i have struggled with it and probably i don't want to say probably have made mistakes is the situation where your team did not do those things or you felt like you lost to an inferior team who may have just played harder than you or more cohesively than you or again when you're talking about winning and losing you know you miss 15 layups for lack of concentration and i guess that falls under that concentration uh label uh but I think that if you in are in those situations, you you take the emotion out of it. Uh, I, I can't remember who said it, but this is something I've really tried to do, especially the second time around. When you win, don't say a lot after the game. If you lose, say even less. And you get out of there. Now, after you go home, you watch the film a couple of times. You try to get some sleep. You've got 24 hours to think about 
what you want to say, how you want to say it. Again, kind of going back up to some of the things that we've talked about before, being decision savvy and how to confront in the right way. Then if you feel like your team didn't do this, that, or the other thing, uh, then then you know you've done it in a cold, calculated, unemotional uh, way. And, and I think that that is what I was reading to in with with neighbors deal is especially like you know publicly and and I think when you do make mistakes you have to own it like you said that uh, if you want your actions to align with your standards if if you feel like hey you know what I just had a really poor game plan tonight I put our kids in bad situations you have to own that publicly uh and you, now you have to be careful you can only do that so many times if you keep saying oh, I our our scheme or our game plan wasn't good enough tonight well then you know what? Are you, what are you? What are you? What are you doing? You know. Why do we have this clown? Yeah. What, who is this guy? Uh, so I, I, I think that uh, I, I really, I wholeheartedly agreed with one through five. I, I think six, I, I agree with, but there's some there's some circumstances with it that I think that you that, that there's a little bit more gray instead of you know one through five for my, for me were really really black and white and 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 thought were just really simple for me to understand. I, that's the way I felt personally, Tony. Yeah, and I think it goes kind of goes back to the one we talked about previously as far as like, you know, keeping it 100. Mm-hmm. If if you take the blame for something like I just have my team prepared, um that that might be true, but they missed 15 layups. They turned the ball over 30 times. You know, you you can't you you have to be uh real with that too. And sometimes if you get upset by a team that plays harder than you do, You've got to be, you have to be with them. But I don't think you go out in the media, you don't go out in public, you don't go out in social media and, and, you know, run them down. You know, they just would have executed the game plan type thing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. So I I, I think we're on the same page there. So Mm -hmm. want to know more about a pen and a napkin and all the resources it offers? Go to a pen and a a great resource for any coach at any level. In addition to our A Pen and a Napkin University video library options that are available to order, we have hundreds of pages of notes, from one-page handouts to book breakdowns to original coaching notes. We also have coaching links, a full catalog of every A Pen and a Napkin podcast, and ways to contribute to the growth of A Pen and a Napkin. Apenandanapkin.com is a coaching resource that will help you become a better coach. You know who does execute the game plan flawlessly every time out, Mr. Viss? Every performance, every show, Europe. You betcha they do, my friend. You betcha they do. So, Mr. Viss, uh, a pen and a napkin coaching staff trivia. I believe you are up. So, what do you got? You got it right friend? in front of me right here. Okay. Um, Rihanna Stewart had another 40-point game uh, this week. I believe on Tuesday, if I remember correctly. And in that 40-point game, uh, she set the single-season scoring record. Most yes. points in a WNBA season. I want to know uh, who she surpassed and in how many more games did it take her? I just read this article today, too. Farts. Uh, 
Elena Deladon. Good guess, but it wasn't Elena. I think this is wrong, but you have to throw it out there. Tarasi? It is Tarasi. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Hey, not bad. Um, I think she did it in like two or three more games. I'm going to say three. Not three. Two? Not two. One? It took her four more games. She did in four more games. Yeah. Tarazi scored hers, I think it was 860, if I remember correctly. In 34 games, Stewart just put up 885, and it was in her 38th game. Okay. Okay. Which is, I mean, she's just coming off an Achilles injury uh, a year or two ago. So for her to play in basically every game this year, really, really impressive for for Stewie. So Yeah. She's uh, had a great season. Um, You know, and it's interesting, you know, with her season, you know, obviously she's being talked about for the MVP, as is Asia Wilson. Um, the one I, I continue to marvel at that I feel like is getting overlooked a little bit is Alyssa Thomas with the triple doubles that she's putting up. I know she had a 25-point triple double the other day. Um, but, yeah, just is having a great year and doing things that you've never seen uh, players in the WNBA do. And so I, I think she's – in the middle of that conversation, but maybe being outshone by two of the WNBA's bigger stars. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I would agree with you there. Um, she's uh, she's good, she's good. So, um, well, Tony, that of course leads us to our last segment of the show, and 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 we're we're going to bring this guy out of the bullpen, Mister Mel Allen. Um, let's, uh, let's go through our TWIB notes this week. Uh, do we want to stay WNBA, Tony? Yeah. Since we were kind of parked there earlier, let's, let's go WNBA. Yeah. Stewie's, uh, fourth 40 point game. Uh, we had a couple of teams qualify for the playoffs and yesterday, uh, the Atlanta dream in for the first time in five years, I believe since 2018. And then the Minnesota Lynx, uh, also qualified for the playoffs. So, uh, you know, the, the regular season is winding down. I think it's done on Sunday, and then playoffs are going to start next Wednesday. Uh, my question to you, Tony, uh, can the Dream, can the Lynx, uh, can they give the Liberty, the Sun, the Aces, can they give them any sort of run in the playoffs? One word answer? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, I didn't think so. Um, I, I, I kind of believe the same thing that you, uh, you know, seven of the eight teams are left. It's between Chicago and LA for the final spot. Uh, you know, the mystics now again, the mystics are going to have Elena Deladon back and hopefully fully healthy, but, uh, the way the Liberty are playing lately, uh, if, if they fall into that eight spot, um, then, um, or that seven spot, I'm sorry. Uh, they're in that seven spot. Right now, Washington is. They're tra- tied with Atlanta. So both of those teams are going to try and dig out of that seven spot so they can play still a very good Connecticut team, but not nearly as as tough as New York. And then, of course, you know if they were to unfortunately fall all the way down to the eighth spot that Chicago and, and the Sparks are fighting for, uh, that's Las Vegas. So you don't want to be seven or eight. If you can get up to six, then you got a puncher's chance. 
Yeah, and I would I would say this: the Mystics to me are, are a dangerous team. Mm-hmm. The Dream and the Lynx, not so much. Um, the Mystics, out of that the the bottom four, if you will, that is by far the most dangerous team. Um, and I would say this: if I were the Mystics, you know, you you talk about the sixth spot that that would be good. But I think I would rather be eight than seven. I look at the Liberty as the as the favorite to win the title. That yeah, would be yeah. the team yeah. I would put my my uh, bet on. Yeah. Well, they're definitely the hottest team lately. So yeah, nine and one in their last ten. If if I'm looking at things correctly here. Um. The next time we go out to eat with Kim Mulkey, I suggest she picks up the check. <laughs> Yeah, she got a she got a pretty good deal, and, and she is a really really good basketball coach. There's no doubt about that. You don't have the success that she's had, you know, as a head coach, as a player. Uh, you know, I, I think she's done some uh, international stuff as far as you know teams and like that go. Uh, but yeah, she she got she got rewarded rather handsomely, which was good to see because you know it's I think it's average of a little over three million a year. Which if you go to the men's side of things, they get paid two to three times that, but it's good to see that LSU rewarded a very successful coach. Well, it's not quite Cedar Rapids public schools. Oh, uh, it's in the neighborhood. Yeah. You know, union, uh, union negotiated uh, pay scale type of stuff, but it's, it's solid money for, for coach Mulkey. So, uh, it'll get her some Arby's. <laughs> think, think she let us get a shake instead of a drink. <laughs> The Jamal shakes are are good. I want a shamrock. <laughs> That's McDonald's. Oh, whoops. <laughs> Forty six minutes. All right. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, with that kind of money, I think we could talk her into Applebee's. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a two for twenty. Ooh, that's pretty good. <laughs> or two for twenty five, whatever it's called now. So. Inflation. <laughs> um, uh, okay. All right. All right. Let's bring it back here. Uh, yeah, I know Kim Mulkey uh, properly rewarded. Uh, of course, she she broke the hearts of many mid- Midwesterners uh, last spring with uh, LSU defeating. Uh, Iowa in the championship game, but um, she is a force. She has changed the game. Uh, she's a terrific coach. Uh, you may not like her, but you better respect her. Uh, that's yeah. for sure. You know. So, and this year's team that they have might be more talented than their title team of the past season. Yes, but um, I, I can't remember. I was taught while well, we were talking about it at uh, the the clinic this weekend. Uh, will there be enough basketballs? Um, just wanted to see, you know, is there going to be enough basketballs to go around, you know? Yeah. Uh, and do you have too many alphas? Yes. Yeah. You know, and that's why you're getting paid $3.2 million a year, you know? So and you got Bob Starkey, who's, who's can yeah. figure a few things out for you, too. Yeah, yeah. Coach Starkey, he's the best. We uh, we we uh, retro-released uh, the, the pod that Coach Starkey was on with me. And uh, I, I think folks have enjoyed uh, hearing that one again, so... Really good stuff there. So um, let's jump. Uh, let's let's wrap up with FIBA here, Tony. Um, national team is in the semifinals. We're taping this on Thursday night, so basically when this is dropping, we will be tipping off against 
Um, Germany. Germany. Yes. Uh, since we have last talked, uh, we lost to Lithuania. Um, kind of a combination. Uh, our, our greatest weakness, which is the glass, was exposed. But at the same time, uh, Lithuania hit some crazy, crazy shots. I think they started out nine for nine from the three-point line. Uh, yeah, not bad. Not bad. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it caught our attention or not or whatever, but we came out, played a dominant, dominant game against Italy and blew them out. Uh, again, it's a rematch against Germany, which we talked about uh, that we played it two or three weeks ago on a, on a Sunday uh, in Dubai. And I think they trailed by over 20 in that game. Uh, we were down 16 in the third quarter before we came back and won, and Germany kind of ran out of gas. Uh, so I, I, I think it's got a chance to be a heck of a, a, heck of a game. Uh, Canada is kind of lurking on the other side there. I can't remember who they have in the other semifinals. Serbia will be a tough one for them. I think both, both semifinals are really good games and could go potentially either way. Yeah. So uh, we're going to have to play well. Uh, got to keep Dennis Schroeder out of the out of the paint, and uh, you know just you know if we, we fell down by 16 once against them and dug our way out of the hole, but I don't think a couple of weeks later with a couple more weeks of cohesion for the German team, I don't know if we can do that again. Let you know, let's not paint ourselves into that corner again. That, you know, I wouldn't tomorrow. recommend that strategy. And Germany worries me for a variety of reasons. Number one, uh, you know, after they got beat by Lithuania. They said they committed to more aggressive trapping, you know, defense and really took Italy out of their their stuff. Well, you mentioned Schroeder earlier. Uh, he's really quick and he caused a lot of fits when they played them, uh, you know, in, in the exhibition there. Um, and then the other thing, Germany's got some size, too. I yeah. know they bring in and uh, I, can't, I think it's Mo Wagner off the bench, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, he's got some good size, and they have other, you know, good size out there. And then his younger brother is really good that plays for Orlando. Yep. Um, and so it'll it'll be tough. And then, you know, you look on that bottom side, like you said, with Canada and Serbia, I think Canada's going to win that. I think Canada has the best player left in the field, and that being, you know, Shea. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, it'll be it'll be fun. I, I'm looking forward to it. And if the U.S. is fortunate enough to get past Germany, I believe they play on Sunday yep. uh, in the in the gold medal. Yeah, you want you want to come over and watch it together? Maybe pick up some Arby's, would, you know? Wouldn't be a bad idea. Grab some, you know, uh, roast beef sandwiches, maybe some beef and cheddar and, and curly fries. We could we could watch it. There we go. Yeah, uh, you know, sleepover. <laughs> Hopefully they'll give me Monday off, but we'll see. I'll, I'll negotiate with my principal tomorrow. There, there we go. There we go. So, uh, all right. Well, hey, uh, like I said, this is going to be a two-part pod here, What Makes Tough Coaches, and next week um, – you know, next week uh, we're going to talk to the second part of this list. I want to thank Coach Neighbors, who's always been very gracious in our interactions, whether it's over the phone or, or, or text or whatever it may be. And and I hope he doesn't mind us kind of expanding on some of the, his thoughts that he put in this article. And Tony and I will be back with this next week. Should be should be really good stuff. Uh, you know, get signed up for the Coaches Clinic. Just a lot of good things going here at a pen and a napkin. Uh, we're closing in on the start of the season. It's September already, and before you know it, you know some workouts have already started for some high school teams. Um, we we got to get ready here. We got to get ready. We got to be ready to roll. So, I uh, hope you've enjoyed this week's uh, coaching staff podcast episode number fifty-four. We'll be back again next week, coaches. As always, let's be sure to own our craft one day at a time.